the hard shoulder on News Talk with Nissan. Let's go the distance by keeping our distance. Nissan, innovation that excites. Now, as always, on a Tuesday, we round off our show by going on the couch. We alternate between physical and mental health. And today, it's a great pleasure to welcome uh, Dr. Jennifer Westrup. She is the Director of Oncology to you and me, Cancer Services, and a consultant medical oncologist at the Beacon Hospital. So, on average, uh, 43,000 people a year uh, get a cancer diagnosis. It's now estimated that half of us will at some stage in our lifetimes get such bad news. A cancer diagnosis and the subsequent medical journey that follows this can be a harrowing time for patients and their loved ones. But are there lessons we can learn from cancer patients that we could apply to the current battle against COVID-19? Jennifer, welcome to the show. First of all, I remember when a cancer diagnosis was like a death sentence. Is that still the reaction to a diagnosis? Well, Ivan, first of all, thank you very much for inviting me to join you today. And um, just before I answer that, I would like to just uh, say a, a, a huge thank you to the thousands and thousands of nurses in Ireland right now who are celebrating International Nurses Day. Um, I know I simply couldn't work without them, and our patients couldn't do without them, and they're the ones who keep coming back to work every day. So it's my great Indeed, well said, well said, absolutely, absolutely. So the situation is, in terms of how do people react when they get a diagnosis? Well, you're right. The reaction oftentimes, um, it's never something anyone truly expects, and it can be Uh, a really difficult diagnosis. But I'll tell you that we are so much more hopeful uh, with our cancer diagnosis now than we ever have been in the past. We have so many different modalities of treatment, including surgery, radiotherapy. And within the area that I work, there's chemotherapies, immune therapies, and novel targeted therapies, as well as endocrine therapies. So we've never had more tools to use. And we always try to impress that on people when they're first diagnosed. Um, my father died of cancer uh, uh, in 79 and he got a diagnosis in the mid-1970s. And and he, he first of all had lung surgery, smoked. Uh, he, he had lung surgery and then it spread and he had radium treatment and there wasn't chemo in those days. Mm-hmm. How much have we improved the life expectancy, the terminal nature of something like lung cancer? Oh, Well, first of all, Ivan, I'm sorry to hear about your father. Um, That's never easy, no matter what age you are or what age anybody is when a diagnosis like this hits. Um, But I will tell you that lung cancer has come a long way since 1979 and actually has come a long way in the last five years. We're using treatments that we never thought were possible before now. And what we found is that we can identify subgroups of lung cancer patients who have certain mutations that we can treat them now with a tablet. There are other patients who are diagnosed with lung cancer that we find have a certain biomarker and we can treat them with immunotherapy. And there are other lung cancer patients where chemotherapy is the right choice. So we're actually, we have more 
uh, tools to use, and we're doing better than we have. So, would would you say the improvement? Because uh, you didn't give me a statistic about the yeah. mortality rate, uh, uh, is like HIV insofar as that that was with AIDS a killer disease. Now it's a chronic disease that will not kill you. We're getting there. So what I would say is that with lung cancers, where survival times often were in terms of months at the beginning, uh, now we are certainly into the terms of years. And there are some patients, some are outliers who certainly survive for years and years. Um, but we haven't create, got lung cancer into a situation where it's completely a chronic disease like HIV. But the, the other point is there's cancer and there's cancer. Like what yes. I notice is skin cancer or other things that people can actually treat and, and get over and even blood cancers and bladder cancers we've covered and mm-hmm. so on. But then you kind of hear of liver cancers and other pancreas cancers, which are more difficult. Is there a variable in terms of where the cancer hits you? Yes. So what what is really important for people to understand when we're talking about cancer is that um, when you hear of another person's cancer, it is not your cancer. Every cancer is different. And Ivan, when we talk about cancers, we talk about them in terms of where they began. So if... uh, we have a patient who may have had a breast cancer and later developed a cancer within their liver, it is still a breast cancer. And there are many treatments we can use. So when we, we hear about the places it has gone, those used to, I think, invoke a lot of fear in people and not so much anymore. We go back to where the cancer originated and determine our treatments based on that. Now, Uh, There's been a lot of debate, not least on this programme, highlighting the non-COVID care issues, both for private and public patients. And the concerns are the critical issue for cancer is early diagnosis and early treatment to a successful outcome. People not presenting. uh, Estimates here, 2,000 in the UK, 26,000 are going to die in the next year because of these people holding back or the complete screening system for mammograms and cervical cancer and smear tests have stopped. How concerned are you that a byproduct of COVID crisis is actually a secondary cancer crisis? Well, um, I'm not concerned yet. And that's why I'm so glad we're talking about this today. So I think we all need to be mindful of the fact that this became a global crisis, a pandemic on March 12th. We're only eight weeks into it. We haven't lost a great deal of time. So we have, in this time, though, we've had to retool our entire health system to be immediately ready for acute patients. So first of all, to answer your question on screening, I'm a huge supporter of our national screening programs. They do really important work, and the more work they do, the less you need someone like me. So um, where I'm a huge supporter, I'm also a supporter that they've put their programs on pause right now because I recognize what it takes to turn a hospital around in a global crisis. Um, We have to be really careful about what patients we invite into the building and into a healthcare setting, and we have to be so cautious of the patients and our staff. Also, Ivan, what we find is most of the hospitals Uh, that are going through this global crisis has divided their staff in half. So half of the staff 
is not in the clinical areas all the time, and that reduces their risk of exposure. We've also had to redeploy staff to different areas. So in times like this, where we have patients who have an acute medical need, such as COVID or trauma or something else, um, we're doing the right thing. The right decisions were made. But we want this to be a temporary pause, Ivan, not a long one. And so it's going to be really important to get those screening programs back up and running when it is medically safe. So if eight weeks doesn't overly concern you, what period of time would? Would it be 12 weeks? Would it be 20 weeks? Would it be eight months? In other words, what is the flexibility on this? Yeah. So first of all, uh, I think we need to make an acknowledgement between screening and symptomatic. So for patients who are symptomatic, who have a lump, who have something suspicious, who are clearly there's something going on, the health system is open and they should immediately ring their GP and with, with, uh, be referred in the proper or appropriate pathway inwards. Just, just, now, on, that, just on that, a lump is very straightforward. But I meet people who say... Wait till I tell you, I got a cancer, cancer diagnosis and it, it, it's, you know, pivoted into treatment and surgery and so on. And I said, how did it all start? Would you be a little pain under my chin or something like that? And it wasn't yeah. really a pain. It was kind of just a discomfort. So how are people to know what's a symptom? And, you know, immediately yeah. say, I don't like the sound of that. Uh, in yeah. other words, like you don't want to be a moaning mini or a hypochondriac. How, what's the telltale sign other than a lump? No. And you know what? That's a super point. It's okay to be a moaning mini. And this is where a a physician-patient relationship is so important. If you're concerned about something, your GP knows you best, talk to them about it. Because sometimes uh, diagnoses, not just in the cancer field, but in many medical fields. But what should you look out for, Jennifer? What you should, you know, for to ordinary people, what sort of pain or ache could be pivotal? one uh, ache or pain that I talk to my patients about, and and I know that they we pass on to others, is that if you have an ache or a pain that comes on, stays on, and doesn't go away for two to three weeks, it's something you need to pay attention to and talk to your GP about. Even, is, even though it's it a is, tweak, you know. Yeah, say, if it is escalating in any nature, you need to talk to your GP about it. All right. So, so be mindful, and I think people are fairly mindful of their bodies. And and I would say it, in this time frame, people have been a little bit more hesitant to contact their GPs. And and in the very acute surge phase, I understand that. But now it's important to pay attention to your body. And if there's something that's not right, contact your GP straight Okay, away. final question briefly. Yeah. Um, you don't sound like you have a Mullingar Limerick accent. How do <laughs> Irish Cancer Services compare internationally? Well, I will tell you that the Irish doctors and nurses are extraordinarily well-trained. It's a great privilege to work here. Um, I, I have to say I have been impressed by so many things, and, and Ivan, not only with the training that, that has brought to this, this island, but the determination and commitment to get things like clinical trials up and running. And that's not easy to do in a smaller population. And to go after different um, and new treatments for cancer patients. So I, I'm privileged to be part of a, a, right. a bigger group of people, and I'm very impressed.
We're well up with the best then. My thanks to Dr. Jennifer Westrup, the Director of Oncology and a Consultant Medical Oncologist at the Beacon Hospital, for being our guest on the couch today about the state of cancer care and what you need to watch out for. Very helpful indeed. The Hard Shoulder on News Talk with Nissan. Together, let's play our part by staying apart. Nissan, innovation that excites.